This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Uh, we're going to be launching today into a brand new message series called Created to Dream, based upon Pastor Rick's new book, Created to Dream. And it's a phenomenal book. We want to encourage you to pick it up. We have it at all of our campuses today. Uh, it's on the patio at the Lake Forest campus. This is the best place to get it. Uh, Pastor Rick is like foregoing all of his royalties on the book sold here. So you can get it basically for the price of a good latte. So I want to encourage you, pick it up today. We're going to journey together over these next six weeks through the book, through the content of the book. Uh, there are six phases. I should say next five weeks. Uh, there are six phases of dreaming that the book talks about. We're going to take all six of them in five weeks. I'll take one a week, and then the last week, Stacy will take two, because she's twice as good of a preacher as I am. So she gets two phases in one message. Now, uh, before we launch into the message, I want to make sure we take a moment just to celebrate what God did last weekend at Easter. It was an incredible weekend across all of our campuses. We... We had 878 people who showed up for the very first time, which means that you brought your friends, your family members, coworkers. Uh, there were 710 people that made first-time decisions to follow Jesus last weekend. So we want to celebrate that. And we were praying as a church. All spring, we've been praying for God to use us to impact one life. I had a friend of mine send me a message. She said that he had a family member that started coming to Saddleback this spring, was opening up to the message of Jesus, and sent him a text on Easter saying, this weekend, I know that I know that I know I have a relationship with God. And that happened 710 times last weekend. And I just want to encourage you, if you prayed, if you served, if you invested in somebody and brought them to church, thank you for your faithfulness. 414 people took the step to get baptized last week. And I just want to say way to go, especially those who took the step to go public with their faith in Jesus. We're still celebrating, and I can still see it in some of your eyes. Some of our volunteers are still comatose from serving like eight services last weekend. So we're just celebrating God's faithfulness, what he's doing in our church. And today as we launch into this next message series, uh, this journey that we're going to go on, what we're going to do for these next five weeks, I sat down with Pastor Rick this week. I got a chance to interview him on the book, and we took that interview and we put it in five slices. So each week we're going to watch a portion of that video. Each video will be about seven to eight minutes long, and then afterwards I'll come out and deliver the message. So today you're going to get to hear from Pastor Rick about the book, why he wrote the book, and then I'll come out and deliver the first of the six phases of Created to Dream. Let's watch this together. Pastor Rick, you wrote your first book in 10 years, Created a Dream. Yeah. I love this book. Uh, personally, I've been able to watch you live out this book mm. um, and was inspired and encouraged just going through it. I think it's going to bless so many people. It's going to bless our church. I'd love for you to talk about what, why is it so important for people to dream? Well, you're not really living until you start dreaming. Everything starts as a dream. You are most like your creator when you're being creative. God looks down when you're dreaming and he goes, that's my boy, that's my girl. And this is what it means to be made in the image of God because God is creator. And as I said, we're most like our creator when we're being creative. That's good. So, so wh where do you, when you think about dreaming and like the average person just kind of listening to this message, 
Like there are some people that are seem to be more wired by God, yeah. visionaries, dreamers. Yeah. But God's created all of us to dream. So where where do people get dreams from? Like where do where do we go for that? That's this good point. Look at kids. Every kid's a dreamer. We are by nature creative. Little kids think up stuff adults would never think up. They imagine things that adults would never. Somehow, life and reality kicks the dream out of us. Okay? If we could go back and, as Jesus said, become as children, we'd be a lot more creative, be a lot more dreaming. What happens is a couple things. The fear of failure keeps us from dreaming and um, comparing ourselves. These things kill dreams in our lives. Uh, we look at other people and go, well, we're doing better than they do. Well, they're not doing any good either. Right. The, the moment you start comparing yourself to others, the Bible says that's dumb, it's foolish, because number one, you'll always find somebody who's doing a better job than you and you get discouraged. And number two, you always find somebody you're doing a better job, then you get full of pride. Yeah. Either way, you're dead in the water. So we have to stop comparing. Uh, if we're gonna start dreaming, you gotta stop comparing. Stop looking at other people, looking at your sister, your brother, or somebody at work, or anything like that, and just go, God, what do you want me to do? And this book is really more about getting God's dream for your life than it is you just thinking up your own dream because God's dream is always bigger and better, but it's gonna take longer. It's gonna take longer. Do you have a place that you go physically when you're like, I'm stuck, I need, I need a fresh vision? Yeah, dream. yeah. I have found it best for me. I grew up in a little tiny town of 500 people outside and we had a 10 acres of property. So I'm really kind of a country boy. Getting outside in nature uh, is really important to me. Uh, I can hear God, and I actually hear God better when I'm walking, when I'm actually moving, because I have ADD. And if I sit around totally still, I start fidgeting. Yes. And so if you are an ADD person, it's okay to walk and wait. Okay, it's okay to move and wait. And so I get outside, but other people, they have a comfortable chair in their living room and that's their quiet time chair. So you just figure out what works for you. But yes, you need not only a, a, a specific time, you need a specific place and that becomes this is where I meet with God. Yeah. When you think- You have that, by the way? I do. Yeah, Walk, what do you like to do? Walking for me. Walking yeah. uh -huh. Um, Shower. Yeah, shower. Shower's sometimes, a good one. Sometimes I'll have an idea yeah. and I'll take it for a walk. I'll yeah. take it, I'll, I'll yeah. just kind of noodle on it. Yeah. And then I think a lot of it is like a Polaroid picture. Yeah, yeah. So you start and there's kind of a little yeah. bit of an image. Yeah. And then you sit with it for a while. Yeah. And then over time, it starts to crystallize. Exactly. Let's talk about this for just a second because it's really important what you just said. Um, you got to give time for a dream to uh, be nurtured. Mm -hmm. And um, here's the thing you can do practically. Ask God a question right as you're going to sleep. Mm -hmm. Okay? And say, Lord, this is a problem I'm working on, or this is a question I have want to ask, or this is a dream I'm thinking of. You ask God and then you go to sleep. The whole time you're sleeping, your mind never actually goes to sleep. It's, it's working overtime. It's sorting and rearranging and categorizing, and your subconscious can work. I can't tell you how many times I've awakened the next morning, and it's like, aha, yeah, and it's there. The other thing is, is if you're preparing, go, what should be the dream for my family? What should be the dream for my business? What should be the dream for my ministry? 
Um, work on it real hard, think about it real hard intensely, and then forget it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and then that's why when a day later in the shower, it comes to you. Yeah. Because while you, if, if you're working on it consciously, your subconscious isn't working on it. And God wired us to, to use all of our brain. And a lot of times a day or a few days later in the shower or doing something mundane, taking out the garbage, washing dishes, all of a sudden, I find it easier, as I said, with ADD. If I'm doing something with my hands, then my mind starts yeah. creating. One of the things I love about where we are right now as a church yeah. is we're living in the fruit of a lot of the dreams God's placed inside of your heart. Uh, today, right now, as you know, we're recording this, there's a lot that God's doing all over the world through Saddleback. One of the exciting things yeah. is that the Buenos Aires campus is moving into, into their building. Brand new building. Exactly. And that started over a decade ago. A decade ago. ago exactly. Talk about that dream and where where did that originate? Well, it originated with the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Go make disciples of every nation. And when I was pastor, one of the big dreams was can we send our members to every nation? Can we be the first church in history to literally go to every nation? And uh, during the decade of 2000, 2000, we did. We sent 26,869 members to 197 nations. We're the only church in history to actually go to every nation. What if, let me just give you a suppose, what if we had a 50-year goal of saying, we now want a campus in every nation? We want to be the first church to literally be a global church with congregations in every nation. Now, we're not going to do that tomorrow. Right. Okay, it's again, yeah. set a big dream that takes the rest of our lives and our kids' lives, okay? But to go a 50-year a, a dream of being the first church to truly be global, we've got campuses in every single nation. What do you think about that, Andy? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Well, there's your go down and do likewise. <laughs> in other words, what I'm saying is a dream in, in a Christian's life is never finished. Yeah. And a dream in a church's life is never finished. It's never fulfilled because it keeps expanding. I love, I love those conversations with Pastor Rick that just lift my vision. And I know that he's done that here for so many of us. And really this series is about lifting your vision, your eyes to see God's dream for your life. And one of the illustrations I think of often uh, is a Polaroid camera. Now I talked about this briefly in the interview. And some of you who are a little bit younger won't know what this is. Um, this actually used to be a way that people would take cameras. And part of the reason why they stopped doing it is it's a rather inefficient way to take a picture. Because you hold it up, and I'll take a picture of this side today. Last, last night I took one right here, so I'll take one from over here. This side looks a little bit better than, oh, right here, sorry. Um, or maybe let me see over here. Actually, you guys look good over here. Oh, I'll take one over here. So you take a picture. And the way the Polaroid works is, so you pull it out. I know I'm, I'm explaining this for all the students. So you pull this out. And these things are actually kind of coming back now. But you, you pull it out and you shake it like this. And it used to be like you would shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. And then an image will show up in the picture. 
vision or dreams are like that, that you get an image, you get a picture, and over time, that picture becomes increasingly clear, that God will show you something, he'll give you a dream. So what we're talking about here is not per se the dreams that you have while you're asleep, but it's a vision, it's a, it's a heart dream that God gives to you for your life of what your life could become. So this idea of dreaming, we're looking at different phases of a dream and what a dream goes through. And this is true in the Bible, you see these different phases in the lives of the people that God would use. It starts with a dream, so in your notes, it starts with a dream. Phase one is God depositing something into our hearts that we act on. So that dream goes from something God puts in us, something on God's radar gets in our heart, and then we decide, that's phase two, to act on the dream. So there's a decision. Next week we'll talk about moving to action with a dream. The third phase after decision is a delay. That means that all dreams go through a season. You can see this classic example in the Bible would be Joseph. God gives him a dream, and it's 13 years from the dream until when that dream's fulfilled. Same is true with King David in the Old Testament. There's a delay, so God is working in you, working in us during the seasons of delay. So that phase then leads us to difficulties. Now we experience difficulties on the outside, circumstantially, with a dream. We experience resistance both externally and internally. So those difficulties, God is forming us as he's giving us dreams. Number five is the dead end. So every dream goes through a part or a season where it feels like, is this dream really gonna happen? And that dead end, classic example, the perfect picture of a dead end and deliverance is Jesus taking the sins of the world on a cross. He's placed into a grave. You think it's over, and he comes back victoriously, and there's a deliverance. So it goes dead end and then deliverance. And these are the six phases that we see of formation of faith and dreams that God gives to us. And today I wanna begin with the question of how do I discover God's dream for my life, that beginning phase? Because God wants to put dreams inside of your heart for your life. Now I wanna begin with a, a moment of honesty or confession. So when I look at my marriage, I proposed to Stacy 21 years ago this July, we've been married 20 years in May, and there was never a moment where I was more optimistic that I was more starry-eyed about my ability to be a great husband than in that moment when I proposed to her. I was so convinced, I'm gonna be better than all the other husbands. I had a dream for the kind of husband that I would be. The same is true with parenting, and this is no reflection on my wife or no reflection on my kids. I was never more optimistic about the kind of parent that I would be than when we found out Stacy was pregnant with our first kid. I just, I would walk through the grocery store and judge every other parent. I would look at kids on the floor crying and say, I'm never gonna have that happen with my kids. I'm gonna be the perfect dad. And I had a dream, but dreams, all dreams encounter reality. So we need, we need a, a vision or we need a framework to help us with reality, with the fact that we live in a broken and fallen world. We're broken and fallen human beings. The other component I wanna address is this, that when you think about the different wiring or shape that God gives to us, there are some of us that are more naturally wired to dream. Some people, maybe you're, you, you say I'm pragmatic and I don't dream very much, but the truth is, whether you have more of a natural bent towards dreaming or not, God wants to give every one of us dreams for our lives. He wants to give every one of us vision. So this series is gonna be tangible, helpful, biblical. How do I get God's 
dream or vision for my life. Now, today to start, we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. We're going to begin in Nehemiah chapter 1, and for the messages that I'll be bringing, I'll be looking at the life of Nehemiah as we go through these different phases. And I want to begin by by setting the stage of what is happening with Nehemiah and Nehemiah chapter 1. Now, Nehemiah shows up on the scene in a season or a period of time for the Israelites called the exile. So the Israelites had been taken from Jerusalem. They had been taken to Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, and they're there for 70 years. Now, it's important to know that the Babylonian Empire represented everything that was broken in the world, everything that was evil. The value system of Babylon was entirely different than the value system of God's people. And Nehemiah, he, is, he shows up in the, king's, uh, in the king's citadel or in the king's palace as a cupbearer or an assistant to the king. And he's the guy, so he's the guy that would eat all the meat that the king would eat, before the king would eat it. He'd drink all the king's wine before the king would drink it. He, he did all of that so that if there was something wrong with the meat or the drink, he would keel over and die before the king did. So that was his job. And he was so faithful, that meant that he was trusted by a Babylonian king as a Jew. And in this story, what God is going to do is deposit in Nehemiah a dream or a vision for the people of God. See, back in Jerusalem, we're going to discover in Nehemiah, back in Jerusalem, the walls are torn down around the city of Jerusalem, and the temple has been destroyed. The temple represents the place where people would go and worship God. The walls represent the strength of the people of God, and both of these have been destroyed. And for 70 years, this problem has existed because of the brokenness or the sin in the people of Israel. And nobody has solved the problem. Nobody has addressed the issue of the temple being destroyed and the walls being broken down. And God is going to give a dream to Nehemiah that is setting the stage for God's people to be restored. It's this preparation for worship to happen again for the people of God. It's the strength that God wants his people to live with again happening. And Nehemiah is the man that receives or the one who receives the vision from God. Nehemiah chapter one. It says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Now notice, this is Nehemiah speaking in first person. So this is his journal describing the dream that God gives to him. And he's at the fortress of Susa when God starts to work in his heart with this dream. And I want you to notice in the fortress of Susa, this is the king's palace, so he's protected. Nehemiah is sheltered at this point, and it would have been very easy for him to remain in his comfort at the fortress of Susa. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. So there's another group of people, they've come over from Judah, and they come into Nehemiah's Presence And he says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And I want you in your notes just to underline the phrase that says, I asked them. So notice Nehemiah asking questions. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to ignore the men who had come back from Judah. It would have been easy for him to remain protected in the palace. It would have been easy for him to not investigate 
what was happening back in Jerusalem. I could just imagine so many different scenarios. Nehemiah is checking social media when these guys show up. He's on Instagram. He's looking at Facebook. He's practicing a TikTok dance. All these things that Nehemiah could have been doing when they showed up. But the beginning of a dream, there's a start that happens in the heart with a character trait of curiosity. And when it comes to dreams, I believe the beginning place of dreams in our hearts is a curious soul, a curious heart. So I wanna start with curiosity. And notice, Nehemiah, he asked questions to figure out the condition of Jerusalem. He investigates. His heart, his mind is open to new information. Curiosity means I ask the right questions. So curiosity means I try to figure out what's happening in the world. Curiosity is mean, means that I'm reflective even on my own life. Like, what are the things that are not working? What are the walls in my own life that are broken down? What are the conditions in my heart, in my mind, in my family, at my place of work? What are the things that are not right? And I do it with questions. So curiosity is this character trait that, that leads us to explore reality. And it reminds me of my childhood. When I was a little kid, I was an incessant question asker. So people would come, and I actually noticed myself doing this yesterday um, when I was meeting somebody for the first time. I asked them about 40 questions in three minutes, and I'm like, ah, gosh, I still do it. I still do it. It's in me. And one of my friends one time said, are you writing a book? And I said, well, I hope to at some point. Um, but that curiosity is just, it's been in me. So my mom used to get a little bit annoyed with me when I was a kid. And so she grabbed this book. It was called The Big Book of Why. And she said, Andy, before you ask a question, you gotta go to the big book of why, see if it's in there, and if it's not in there, then you can ask your question. Now, I'm still working through this with my therapist, but, <clears throat> but that curiosity in me, it's never gone away. And I do believe it's a significant component of the ability to dream that God has given to me. It's a, it's a curiosity with the world around me. That curiosity oftentimes will allow us to see things differently than the rest of the world. And I want you to hear this. It's impossible to be simultaneously curious and anxious. So curiosity is actually an antidote to one of the greatest problems in our world of anxiety. It's impossible to be simultaneously curious and judgmental of others and of yourself. So curiosity is opening my eyes. It's allowing my mind and my heart to be exposed to problems that exist in the world problems that exist in my life. I wanna start with curiosity. Now, it doesn't stop there, though, because Nehemiah responds, he asks these questions, and they respond back to him. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. It's not good in Jerusalem. In fact, they're in great trouble and disgrace. These are the people of God who should be living in Jerusalem from a place of strength Yet the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I want you to think for just a moment. When I heard this, Nehemiah says, he's hearing news that has existed for 70 years. So it's not the first time that Nehemiah would have known that something was wrong in Jerusalem. It's, it's not the first time he would have understood that there had been an exile to Babylon. He knew his heritage but this is the first time it sinks in. But this problem that has existed for 70 years, it'd be like if somebody told you about World War II and all of a sudden World War II just like brings you to a place 
of brokenness. This is, this is old news, but somehow this old news gets a fresh perspective in Nehemiah's heart, and it says, when he heard this, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. I want you to underline, I sat down and I wept. So brokenness begins to set in for Nehemiah. Grief becomes a reality for him. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I, I prayed to the God of heaven. I sought him in the midst of the brokenness. And what Nehemiah is doing and what we must do in order to get God's dream and vision for our life is we have to pay attention to the concern. So God will put concerns inside of your heart to give you a dream. There'll be things that you hear and it hits your radar in a way that's different than other people. And the question I've often asked myself, I'll write this in a journal often, what problem on God's radar needs to be in my heart? See, I know when God looks at planet Earth, God sees all the problems. God sees every situation on planet Earth, everything that's not right, every wall that's been torn down, every issue of poverty that exists, human trafficking, abortion in our world, gender issues, so much confusion when it comes to truth. There's so many things that exist in our world. We, we could get so overwhelmed by so many problems, but what God will do is God will take a problem that's on his radar and it will, he'll put it inside the heart of his sons and daughters. So God is, God is not solving problems with a what, God is solving problems with a who. And God will choose a who for all the, all the dreams in his heart, he wants to put it on a son's heart or put it on a daughter's heart so that they can do something about it. Again, I wanna come back to this question. What problem on God's radar needs to be in my heart or on my heart? What is the thing that God sees that, that he wants me to see? And what concern does is concern means that I get to a place where I allow God to break my heart. Break my heart for the things that break your heart, God. Show me the things that concern you. And this is where dreams and vision begin to take root in our hearts when there's a grief that we begin to experience. Sometimes in our culture, isn't it true that we, we wanna be happy? Anybody else wanna be happy, like to be happy? I love to be happy, I'm happiest when I'm happy. I love it. Um, and sometimes my desire for happiness can make me skip right over the grief that God wants me to experience that allows me to live with deeper conviction. See, actually grief is a gift. Our ability to cry, our ability to weep, it's, it's divine. Jesus, when his good friend Lazarus died, he wept. So grief is a part of God's development of our character and the problems that exist in our world that, that break the heart of God should break our heart. God wants to take a problem in the world and get it on your heart. And God wants to take the problems in, in our lives and get them on our heart. There's something that happens when, when I, there's a brokenness inside of me or inside of you for the things that are not right. Sometimes in our interactions with family members or coworkers, maybe there's, there's something that is moving away from God's best and, and we look at it and we see it and we don't, we don't feel it. We don't, we don't have any grief over the sin in our lives so we keep moving away from God's very best rather than having repentance and conviction. But that repentance and conviction starts with a sorrow. The Bible talks about godly sorrow. What godly sorrow does is it moves me to a place of sadness over sin, both in my life and in our world. And that sadness will lead me to a place of repentance where I can turn from my way to God's way. And it gets me to a place where I can receive God's dream. So God wants to give me, he wants to give you dreams. And he wants to do it in different areas. 
So in your notes, I wanna encourage you, this is not there, but you can write these down as we walk through them. God wants to give me dreams for my relationship with him. So God wants to start, the most important part of who you are is your relationship with God, and God wants to give you a dream for your relationship with him. You know, I, I meet so many people that follow Jesus, and maybe in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you meet them, and they're filled with joy and peace. The fruit of the Spirit is so evident in their lives, and, and you look at their life, and that, that can be a picture that God wants to deposit inside of our hearts. That, that's the kind of person I wanna become. God wants to give me dreams for my personal life as, as well. So when I think about the future, I, I have to forecast where, where do I wanna be 10, 15, 20 years from now? Where does God want me to be? So God will give me dreams for how I live with my body physically and how I handle my personal finances. God wants to deposit his dreams into my heart for my personal life. He wants to give me dreams for my relationships. And when I'm open, he'll, he'll show me pictures. And I have some of these pictures in my mind that, that drive me forward. I think about my 60th wedding anniversary, if God would give me the privilege. And I just have this image in my mind of kids and grandkids gathered together and being able to look my kids and my grandkids in the eye and say, I have faithfully loved your mother and your grandmother for 60 years, and to experience the joy of that, that dream, living into that dream. So when I, when I think about my life on a tangible basis, I'm busy, but if I wanna have that kind of dream become a reality, I have to live into it right now. And God will deposit, I have this dream with, with my daughter of walking my daughter down the aisle, and there being such a, a joy and a tenderness in that moment, but if there's not the tenderness now, then how will I ever get to that moment? God will give you these dreams in the future that allow you to live today. I think about my sons and the kind of relationship I wanna have with Cademan and Sammy when they're grown men and discipling and parenting their children that they would still wanna call me as a friend to talk about their struggles. That means today matters, but God, God gives that dream into the future so that I can live into it today. So he'll give me a dream for my personal life, my relationships. In addition to my relationships, God will give me a dream for my career. So God wants to help you think, how do I use the gifts and talents that he's given to me? And it, he wants you to more than just go to work on Monday morning. God wants you to have purpose with your work. So he'll give you a dream for your career, your ministry, to make a difference with your life, to, to live into the gifts that God has given to you. He wants to give you a ministry both in the church and in the world beyond the walls of the church. Now, we wanna help you with that. In fact, today, at all of our campuses, we're doing something called Discover Your Purpose. And if you've been around Saddleback for a while, it was originally 101, but now it's Discover Your Purpose. It's about a two-hour experience where there's a meal, and we talk through the purpose that God has for our lives, the five eternal purposes and the resources that we have to help you as a church to help you in that journey of living out God's purposes for your life. You can take that step today. I'd love to meet you at our Discover Your Purpose uh, experience, our lunch today after our 11 a.m. service here at Lake Forest. But you can sign up for that based, uh, going to this QR code right here. You'll see it on the screen. You can sign up. Don't pull out your phone and go to Instagram, just unless you're posting Saddleback pictures. But um, you can go there, sign up today, and we'll get you connected. If you click on that button that says connect when you go to the QR code, 
you can sign up to go to Discover Your Purpose. One of the other experiences that we have once a month is an experience based on discovering your shape. And when you think about the problems in the world, you know, there, there's a possibility with all the brokenness that exists in our world that you might feel like, well, there's so many things I could give my life to. I could give my life to making a difference with orphans. I could give my life to making a difference with students. I could give my life to helping people who are lonely get connected. There's so many global problems. That's why we do the SHAPE experience, which is Discover Your Purpose 3. And that happens today as well at our Lake Forest campus where you discover your shape that God has given to you, your spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, experience, and how he leverages all of that to give you dreams to lean into your wiring that God has given to you. Now, what we're doing is we're letting God's concern, the problems on his radar, get into our hearts. But as we do that, I wanna come back to Nehemiah. Um, After Nehemiah starts to weep over the problem, he brings the problem to God in prayer. And then I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people Israel. And notice how Nehemiah begins with worship of who God is. Worship is one of the most important components of getting God's dream for our lives because when we worship, we're seeing God for who he is. We're seeing his character. And Nehemiah is worshiping God, and then that worship leads to confession. So his awareness of who God is and what God is like leads to a response. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the command and crees and regulations that you've given through your servant Moses. And what Nehemiah is doing is he is developing conviction about the problem. He's developing conviction about the condition for Israel and the walls that have been torn down. And I wanna encourage you as you're writing this word down in your notes, develop my convictions. Right next to conviction, underneath conviction, conviction is connected to the word convinced. But there's another word there that doesn't start with C, so I couldn't use that word, and it's ownership. And I wanna encourage you, you might put right next to conviction, ownership. And notice for Nehemiah, how he's owning the problem. It almost seems like, Nehemiah, why why are you, so 70 years Israel's been in Babylon, and the reason they got moved to Babylon was because of the sin 70 years ago, so why are you, Nehemiah, owning sin from 70 years ago? But Nehemiah, his ownership of the condition for the people of God, his ownership for the sin of his people, leads him to become the kind of person that will step into the solution. Sometimes we wanna blame everybody else for the problems that we have, and men are the worst at this. Yesterday I was making some eggs, and total tangent, but I was making some eggs, and I kept getting shells inside of my mixture, so I'd crack the egg and the shell goes in, and I'm like, I know this is not my problem. So I look at Stacy. I'm like, look at these eggs. These shells are so soft, they're just breaking, and they're everywhere. So. We always, don't you always wanna blame somebody else though? Anybody else, like, yeah. It's a lot easier to find somebody else to blame for our eggs. It's a lot easier to find somebody else to blame for your problem in marriage. It's a lot easier to blame another person. But unless I own it, 
Unless I have conviction and it gets deep in my soul, I cannot be a part of the solution. So what conviction does is it allows me to see my life from God's perspective. It allows me to see the world from God's perspective. And there's a repentance, there's a sorrow, there's a grief, but that grief is leading Nehemiah to ownership. Nehemiah is going to step into the gap and say, I'll be a part of solving the problem for my people, but first I'll recognize we've sinned. The reason the walls are torn down, the reason the temple is gone, the reason the people of God are not thriving is because the sin of God's people, and I am a contributor to the problem. So I find as I'm dreaming about marriage, as I'm dreaming about parenting, as I'm dreaming about my physical health, as I'm dreaming about ministry, if there's a problem that needs to be solved, I wanna own it. I wanna recognize my contribution to the problem. This is true. I think about so many problems globally. There's so many people. Abortion is a massive problem in our generation. It is a, it's a problem that's on the heart of God. But how many people who, who rage about the problem of abortion would be willing to take a single girl who's pregnant into their home and help that girl raise that child? So it's like, oh, I'm convinced there's a problem, but if I'm not willing to be a part of the solution, I have to own the problem. There's so many problems in our world around gender identity right now. And kids are raised in schools and they're not taught God's values, they're taught the world's value system. And we could rage about that. We could say, this is a horrible condition, but how about serving in our student ministry and coming alongside of a student and teaching them God's ways so that as they're getting it in the world, they're also getting it in the church and in the home. So if I rage about a problem, but I'm not willing to own my part of the problem, I can't be a part of the solution. You understand that conviction has to get into us that we own it. This is true when it comes to the problem of racism. There's racism that exists in our world. And sometimes we wanna act like it's somebody else's problem. But until I can sit down for lunch with somebody with different color skin from me, I'm not a part of the solution. I have to own my part of the problem. There's so many problems in the world. Now God wants to get a problem that's on his radar in your heart, but it starts with grief, then it moves to ownership and conviction, and then that conviction gets to a place where I act on the calling. So I do something about it. So I move forward with it. I say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand in the gap. And Nehemiah, we're gonna see in chapter two, we're gonna see Nehemiah act on a dream that God gives to him. And what calling means, calling is God has an assignment for me. God has something he wants me to do. God has something that he wants me to fix. God has a problem that has my name on it. Calling means I go after God's dreams that he puts inside of my heart. So it means that I step forward to stand in the gap. I see a global problem, I go on a mission trip. I see the loneliness and I host a small group. I see the issues with students and kids and I serve in student ministry. I see problems in my world and so many of the problems that exist in our world, the church is already actively trying to solve so I can take the step. You know, the reality is there's only about 15% of our church. We have an amazing group of people that serve every single week but it's about 15%. Now if you think about the ratio on that, a lot of us are watching it all unfold. That's great, we, wonderful, we're, we're glad that you're here, a part of the family. But there's a point at which when I step from the stands 
into the field to go after God's dreams and I start to serve. Last week, Stacy and I went to, or two weeks ago, we went to Buenos Aires and I noticed God is doing something special in South America through our campus down there. Unbelievable. The lives that are being changed. Right now, as they're hearing this message, uh, they're gonna be moving into their brand new building. They have a building that has 200 seats in it. It's gonna have 600 seats in it. Uh, they crammed five services on a Sunday. They turn them around, pack them in and out. It's like going to a restaurant, in and out. And they're, they're there and lives are being changed so much. And as I'm there, I'm thinking about, I sit down with Seba and I say to Seba, Seba, how many churches like Saddleback are there in your community? And he says, there are very few churches that are the kind of place that you can bring somebody who's far from God. And it made me, it made me think, how many global cities there are all over our world that are like Buenos Aires that need a saddleback expression in them? And to think, okay, there, there are gonna be some people in this next generation that God raises up to move to other places from Lake Forest, to go to global cities, to start new saddleback campuses. There's so many dreams that God is putting in our church. There's a leadership college, there's a prayer center, there are people that God has given a vision for prayer and he's gonna put that in you and you're gonna be a part of a prayer movement that changes the world. God wants to take his dreams and put them in your heart. This is true with parenting. There are studies that show us right now that there are so many young men that are growing up without a father. I watched a documentary one time uh, it's called The Work of Folsom Prison. And all these men talking about their relationship with their dad and the wound there. And it made me think they're gonna, there's gonna be a generation of men that God raises up at Saddleback Church to invest in the next generation of men to solve that problem. So what happens, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to popcorn thoughts and ideas to you because our natural tendency is to go downstream, look at the problems, rage at it, point a finger and say somebody else should be solving that problem. But the church, we have the solution of the message of Jesus that we can get upstream from the problem. We can take the gifts that God has given to us, invest in the problem now so that downstream, the thing that we notice, human trafficking, abortion, gender issues, poverty in our culture, racism that exists, all these global problems, the church, I can use my gifts my calling in the church to get upstream from the problem that's downstream. We can be a part of the solution. So God is going to use these next five weeks to spark dreams and vision inside of you. He's gonna give you fresh vision for our world and for your life. And I wanna encourage you to start today in a posture of obedience and surrender to him, a posture of worship. I wanna invite you to stand with me and we're gonna go into a moment of response and worship to God. God's greatest dream for your life is that you'd know him, that you'd worship him, and out of that, he wants to give you his dream of how you live. And so I wanna invite you, if you're comfortable, just to position your hands like this, and just to say, God, take the problems that are on your radar and put them in our hearts. Give me your problems that you see that you want me to own and help me be a part of the upstream solution to the condition of our world. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we say, would you come? Would you minister? Would you give us vision and dreams? And would you help us be the kind of church that's not known for what we're against, 
but the kind of church and the kind of people that are known by what we're for and to be on the solution side. Thank you that every what on planet Earth, you call a who to solve it. And I pray that we would be the who's. We would be the people that respond to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.